If you are visiting with us, let me say how wonderful it is uh, that you are here. We pray that you have gotten one of those uh, visitor's packets, if you will. At this time, there should have been some sort of uh, attendance card in there. If you'll pass that toward, those, toward the aisles at this time, we have some gentlemen who will come by and pick those up. We'd like to have a record of your attendance and uh, be grateful that you are here, thankful that you are here, and stick around and, and let us get to know you. Uh, it has been a wonderful uh, time even this morning with you. We've had a wonderful class time. We have the option, our opportunity rather, here to come here today and to worship our God. What a, what a great day we're going to have. How many of you like to read books? How many of you know what books are? Some of you are looking at me like I'm, it's not the time to answer questions. How many of you who like to read books read the first chapter and then flip all the way over and read the last one? I do. I like to know what's coming. So, so sue me, I guess. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you can tell a lot about people who do that. Uh, there's not a lot of time that they have in their schedule or they think they don't have a lot of time in their schedule. And so they kind of read through what we used to call in the 90s, the Cliff's Notes version of that. Uh, we find that person who reads the first chapter and the last chapter to be very uh, quick in what's going on within their life. Unfortunately for us, as we look at the life of Jesus Christ, which we started last week, we find ourselves kind of looking at the first chapter and the last chapter. We looked last week at the birth, and if you'll recall, there was a statement I made in there, and that statement was this, without the cradle, there is no cross. And so, let me say this today, without the cross, there's no salvation. The last chapter of Jesus' life is quite possibly, at least in our selfish looking at it, is quite possibly the most important. Because it is where our salvation is found and it is where is found the salvation of the entire human race from Adam forward. Could you imagine living underneath those times in which you would offer that sacrifice on Yom Kippur only to come back a year later to offer another sacrifice for that same year, that past year? And every single year, it would be the book of, of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 that would tell us that, that those sacrifices, while they were completing the plan of God at that point in time, they were not the ones that were making the comers thereunto perfect. It was not the complete taking away of those sins, unlike the blood of Jesus the Christ. And so this morning, let's skip all the way to the end. Crucifixion is not a, a Roman invention. Crucifixion was an invention of the uh, Persians and then the, the Grecian uh, nation which took over the world after the Medo-Persian Empire adopted it and enjoyed it. And then when Rome took over, they adopted it. And not only did they enjoy it, but they, the Romans were somewhat particular and they could push you to a point to where you wish you were dead, but they'd just bring you back just a little bit. 
They, they were sadistic in how they, how they approached this crucifixion. Uh, they, they would push the human body and see how far they could push that human body uh, until, it, until it broke. And just to dispel the rumor of the 15th century painting, no one ever carried the entire cross. The whole thing that looked like an ups, uh, lowercase t that we're so accustomed to seeing on jewelry and in those paintings, no one ever carried that. As a matter of fact, the stake or the patibulum, as it was called there, uh, stayed in place. Why? They had places they killed people, and that was it. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse uh, number 17 will tell us it'll be on the outside of the gates there. Outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Why? Well, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, uh, make the whole city unclean. And so we do it outside of the gates. It would be Jesus who would carry the cross member. Hand hewn. There are a lot of things that we have in our society today that make things a lot easier and a lot better. Uh, for example, electric planers make that wood nice and, and straight. It also makes it very smooth. But if you were to take a chisel and decide to try to mimic that, you would have a very rough piece of wood. This is what Jesus carried, not the whole cross. And, and no one was ever staked through the, the, the middle parts of their hands. Your, your body weight just won't carry that. It, it'll rip apart. And so... Right there is a little uh, funny little feeling place. At the bottom of your, of your palm, there is a, uh, there's like a tunnel there it's in between these two bones here. It's really the carpal tunnel. You ever heard of carpal tunnel syndrome? You know, we play too many video games and our, our wrists hurt. Yeah, that's the reason why. But right through those tunnels would be where that, where that person would be hung from the cross. Why? Because it supports the body. It keeps, keeps the body from ripping apart. Now, how many bodies did they have to do that to to figure that out? I'm not sure. Not sure. We find him in Luke chapter 22, verses 43 and 44, even before, even before he's arrested. We find him in the back of a, of a garden around Gethsemane. And we find him praying. We find his, his three best friends in the world about a stone's throw away. And they are so tired. They are so sleepy that they can't hear the Savior of the world wailing, crying out to God. Everything Jesus has known through eternity, even up until this point, is about to all come true. And the human side really doesn't want that to happen. And here's why I think, here's why. Nobody ever just signs up for something that was going to intentionally be painful for no gain. Nobody ever signs up for that. But yet here you have Jesus, the Christ, who is looking over a valley and into a city where he knows he's going to, to be on parade and then die. Where he knows everybody who is going to be there is going to spit on him, is going to, going to laugh at him, going to curse at him. 
No one's going to find him guilty and yet everybody's going to hang him. And he finds himself in the back of that garden. Luke, the doctor would write, sweating as it were, great drops of blood. I don't know really anything, medically speaking. But I know some folks, and it sounds like the idea of hematidrosis, some, some sort of hyper-stress, some sort of idea where he is in such a, an, an agony and such a, a stressful situation to where the, the blood, the capillaries underneath his skin begin to burst and coming out of his skin, you have sweat and blood mixed, seemingly. An interesting byproduct of that that generally happens on the, on the face and on the neck, on the head, an interesting byproduct of that is when that stops, your shoulders up to your head, to the crown of your head, bruise. Hmm. Just keep that in mind as we continue through this particular day. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want to go to this cross, but he's, but he's not a coward. He's not hiding from it. He just doesn't want the pain that's necessarily associated with that. And he cries out to God when he's in this particular uh, garden. If there's any way, take this cup away from me. Now, there's an interesting idea that happens. And I'd like for you to see this if you can. Once God says this is the way it has to happen. And you read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from that point forward. You have Jesus the Christ who has a weight lifted off his shoulders. Seems weird. Seems odd. Like that, like that shouldn't happen. That, 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 that type of, of stress-free uh, looking at those things shouldn't happen that way. God said, this is the way it has to happen. Jesus says, okay. Just okay. Just all right. Here we go. Just no more stress about it. Well, look at it if you can from Jesus point of view. God says this is the way it has to happen. Jesus as the sacrifice and as one who has completely followed God's will. Because God says this is the way it has to happen. Already has his decision made for him. And so. If we look across that valley, you see the crowd coming. John would tell us it's about a band of the Roman army, about 500 soldiers. 500? About 500 soldiers? For a guy who doesn't even call himself king? For a guy who doesn't even uh, or hasn't even shown himself as being someone who would a revolt? 500? What do you need that many for? They come into that garden and it's him who says, who are you looking for? 
And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I'm him. And everybody stumbles back. I guess maybe they weren't thinking they were going to see him face to face that close. I guess maybe they were, uh, their, their, their uh, juices were flowing and they were amped up just a little bit, make, maybe thinking there was going to be a fight somewhere. <laughs> Jesus said, here I am. And so they take him. And from that point in time, at the point of his arrest, through the rest of his trial, there are at least 24 different violations of the Jewish law. There are at least 24, did you hear that? At least 24 violations of the Jewish law from which Jesus should have been released. From uh, arresting him at night and on a holy day, from arresting him at one of the, uh, the, the opinions of one of his gang members, Judas. All sorts of things they did. They, they just sort of skirted the law out of the way because you ever heard the phrase, you know, the truth gets in the way of a good story because the law kind of gets in the way of a good crucifixion here. Those things that are legal kind of get in the way of what needs to happen. And I say it that way on purpose. It needs to happen. Or else Galatians 4, 4 and 5 prove to be untrue. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. For what reason? Verse five, to redeem us back to him as children. That doesn't happen without that arrest. It doesn't happen without that trial. It doesn't happen without that crucifixion. And here we find ourselves at the end of Jesus' life. Where they begin to look at him in Luke chapter 22 and they begin to spit on him. Now, there's a lot of things in my life I might put up with. A lot of things I might bite my tongue and my, my lip on. But even thinking about it during this particular sermon, I can feel my heart begin to race a little bit. And I can feel my skin get hot. If you spit on me, I'm, ooh. Mm. And this is the son of God. This is the one by whom all creation exists and they're spitting in his face. This is the one who's going to be, be sacrificed for them. They don't care. They're spitting right in his face. And what's he doing? Well, what's he going to do to prove his power and his might? Nothing. Nothing. They're going to blindfold him. They're going to pull out the hairs of his beard And the idea, the idea that permeates the New Testament is all of those things happen because of me. Eventually he finds himself in front of Pilate. You know, I would have said earlier in my life, Matt, that politicians are about the same. I don't, I don't guess I ever knew any, any one politician ever to, to know any different, but 
He is the textbook Weasley politician. Pilate is. He has no ties to the city other than that's where Nero put him. He didn't have any, any, any value found in that city. He's trying to sort of move up the ladder. And what they've told him is this, if you can keep the peace in Jerusalem, well, one, you're doing a pretty good job, but two, we'll move you somewhere else, somewhere that's a little easier. <laughs> to keep the peace in Jerusalem. So let me tell you what happened in Jerusalem while we were there, November. Syria fired four rockets into Jerusalem. And they just thought it was Tuesday. Peace in Jerusalem are kind of like oil and water, especially with uh, the, three, the three warring religions as they each try to, to take hold of, of the city, the Jews trying to keep a hold of it, the Muslims wanting a piece of it, the Christian wanting a piece of it. But it's, it's Pilate's job to keep the peace in the city that seemingly has no peace. And so he begins to interrogate Jesus the Christ, this one that has, they have brought in and said he calls himself the Christ, the king. His, his, his followers call him the king. Now we should probably put him to death. <laughs> and after an interrogation, there are two interesting remarks found uh, from Pilate to Jesus or from Pilate to the crowd, either one, in this whole interrogation. One is a, is a conversation they have about truth. When Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? As in Pilate's mind, truth is, is relative. It's whatever's going to help me get to the next section of life. And Pilate, looking at him and examining him, turns to a crowd in an elevated position and says this, I don't, I don't find any fault in him. There's nothing that I can find that he has done that would legally be cause for really anything. I'm not sure exactly when the chance started. And I'm not sure if it was just a few or maybe even just one. But I tell you what, it really picked up steam. You know, you've been to the college football game and you'll, you're, 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 your team is, is down and, and we need to stop the other team and everybody in the stands start yelling defense, 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 as if the folks on the field don't know that they should be playing defense, defense, defense. Sure. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him till it began to chant and wave throughout that crowd. Crucify him. Crucify him. 
crucify him. Pilate has one more idea, though. One more idea. Listen, listen, we, we give you somebody every, every year about this time. We, we release one prisoner. So we'll bring a, a known rebel rouser, a known one who is a revolt leader. We'll bring one who is arrested for crimes against the nation of Rome, who's also a thief. We'll, we'll bring him out, who will be the most disgusting guy we can find in the prisons. And we'll say, how about it? Do you want this guy right here or you want Barabbas? To which the crowd stops chanting, crucify him, to chant, give us Barabbas. Pilate would then say, John 19 and verse 1, scourge him. You know, that verse is very simple. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Just that easy. Easy verse to memorize, easy verse to understand. And really, on, on, the, on the concept of scourging, we have nothing given to us in the biblical record. But to find out through history, man's inhumanity to man. And so you have a, a table much like this Lord's Supper table or even a, a post over which a, a prisoner would would be pulled with their wrists until their backs were tight. Tight like a, like a drum head tight. And because this is a, a Roman scourging, there are no uh, mercy laws given as were the Jews. You, you can get 40 stripes, but if you go over in the Jewish world, then, then the person giving the stripes gets 40. And so most people in the Jewish world got 39 stripes, just in case... We miscounted somewhere. And so the Romans would just beat you till their arms got tired. And it would be in Isaiah chapter 51, uh, the latter portion of 51, the latter portion of that particular uh, chapter there, which Isaiah would tell us some 750 years before Jesus comes onto this earth that what's going to happen to him in John chapter 19 verse 1 is going to change the way he looks even as a person. Now stop and think about that for a moment. He has now been beaten to a point to where he doesn't even look human. And they said, carry it. Go through these small streets, crowded with people, carry it out there, and that's where you're going to die. Now, two weeks earlier, there was a fellow from North Africa, got his sons, Rufus and Alexander, and got everything packed up the way they should, and, and they were heading over to Jerusalem for the, the day of Passover. Just so happens as they come in, there's a crucifixion going on. This man happens to be at the right place at the right time, and Simon is compelled to carry the cross for Jesus. He falls once, according to the biblical record, and that's when Simon helps him. And he makes it all the way outside of the, of the uh, walls. 
and they nail one hand on one side. And then according to history, they, they, they grab the other side with a rope and pull him as tight as they can so that he'll be all the way stretched out so he can be as uncomfortable as possible. And then they nail that other hand on there and they affix the feet on there. Uh, crosses are an interesting thing because they are adjustable. You know, if you've got enough sticking out of the ground, however tall or short you are, they can, they can adjust to that. They lift that cross member up and put it into that notch. Boom, and there he sits. For six hours, there he sits. As he's on this, this cross, this... this implement of death because nobody ever gets off the cross. You know, it's not, it's not the wounds to the hands or the feet. It's not the lack of blood that they've been pouring out of his face and out of his back. It's not those things that are, that are impending to his life. It's not that. Suffocation. Suffocation's the problem. When he's not pulled up, he's slumped over. I don't know if you've ever tried to play an instrument that would require you to breathe. If you slump over and you put some pressure on your diaphragm, you can't play it. As a matter of fact, you won't stay that way for very long before you straighten back up and go. <sighs> Doesn't have that opportunity. What's going to kill him is suffocation. And what he's going to do is, is fight suffocation for six hours. And in between those hours of fighting that, at some point in time, he's going to pull himself up in order to breathe. And, and not from a padded pew to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. From, from that particular position on the cross, he's going to almost growl out and grumble out, Father, forgive them. It's such a strain on his body. Every time he speaks, every time he breathes, everything he does on that cross is a strain on him. And it's suffocation. <laughs> suffocation that's going to kill him. The end of six hours, It's necessary to get these bodies down off of a cross because, you know, you don't want to you don't want to have to be dealing with bodies when it's a holy day. We're not even dealing with the fact that we just killed a guy who didn't deserve it. So we break the legs of the two who are on his side and yet they come to Jesus and they say, look, this guy's dead. 
The, the people in charge of this crucifixion are Roman soldiers and have been Roman soldiers for decades. And I'll guarantee you this, with everything that I own, I'll place this bet. They know what a dead body looks like. And they knew at the point they saw him, this guy's dead. The head man said, make sure. Thus they stabbed up and stabbed him. Blood, water pours out. Then from Matthew chapter 27, verse number 54, Michael read for us just a moment ago. You have a centurion. Now stop and think about this for a moment. You have a Roman soldier who can be put to death in the same fashion for the statement he's about to make. This Roman soldier seeing all these things that happen said, truly, this was the Son of God. And what have we done? We've killed him. Be Jesus in John chapter 10, an earlier idea of his life would say, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. You know, if Jesus just dies on that cross, if they just put him in a tomb, even a, in an in a, uh, unused tomb, just like the, the uh, prophecies say, if everything happens according to that and he never walks out of that grave, he's still not Christ. He's still not the Savior and he's still not the sacrifice for our sins. But we've seen a baby grow up. We've seen a man teach God's word, perform miracles. We've seen a man be taken on a rail and just killed for no reason other than the fact that we don't want him around here. In the scope of eternity, he's killed as our sacrifice. When you look at the beginning and the end of the life of Jesus the Christ. When you see how God's plan unfolds for us, what then will you do with Jesus? The question comes to you. We sing that quite often, often don't we? You must give an answer for something you must do. What, what's it going to be? Here are your three, I think, three options. One, you can do nothing. You can walk right out those doors today and say, man, that's pretty good. Or, man, that took a long time. That's option number one. Option number two, you can walk right out those doors and think, Man, that took a long time and I should have done something. 
and allow the process of the hardening of the heart to start or continue. Because, friend, where you're at right now of I should have done something, the more you say I should have and just walk out the door, the easier it is to walk out the door the next time. Or three. You could say, hmm, I never really thought about those things. I never really put all of those particular things together. That was a long one, but perhaps it's worth it. What if I come home to God today as his child? What if I come back to him because I look at my life in the mirror of the Bible and realize that I'm falling short? You have that opportunity today. You have the opportunity to be reinstated as one of God's children even today. One of his faithful, one of his beloved. All you have to do is come home. And you might say, hey, preacher, you forgot about me. Maybe I didn't. The one you're thinking about is the one who's never put on Christ. We have that option for you today, too. That opportunity stands available just as long as Jesus tarries to come back to this earth. That opportunity is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And all you have to do in order to become a child of God is to hear what God has to say and believe it. Repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one and only. And be baptized putting away that old man of sin and sorrow, being raised to walk in a newness of life. In just a moment, you're going to have opportunity to respond. Make the right choice while we stand and sing for your encouragement.